Hello, everyone. This is Andrew, guest podcasting with... Uh, this is Kevin. And this is Matthew. Uh, right, we're, we're uh, sitting down to watch uh, Trials and Tribulations. Um, uh, Matt, uh, sorry, Andrew, you, you requested this one to guest podcast on. Uh, is there a particular reason you uh, wanted to do this one? I just remember watching this one when it first came out and just geeking out over the revisiting of a great original series story and how well they sort of mesh the two together. So why not? Huh. Uh, yeah, I always liked this one. Um, it, I remember there being a lot of buildup to it uh, in the, in, you know, like, like TV guide or whatever, like in the press, such as TV guide constitutes the press. Um, they were, they were hawking this episode pretty hard. Um, I, I, I can preemptively tell, tell you what Matthew's, uh, the category of Matthew's predictions will fall under. And it's, does the episode justify its existence beyond this sort of proof of concept of its, of its technical acumen? Um, for me, this episode was such a technical achievement and beyond that, such fun that I agree. I think this, this rates very high and very fondly in my memories of Deep Space Nine. Um, uh, well, so yes, that is indeed one of my questions uh, going in. Um, I mean, look, I'm coming to Deep Space Nine maybe from a slightly more skeptical standpoint, and I've already seen them engage in sort of weird stunt stuff uh, several times, actually. You know, like the whole, what was it called? Future Imperfect? Uh, no, Future Imperfect's uh, next-gen episode. That's the one when Riker goes 16 years in the future. Do you mean um, the Gabriel Bell episode? Uh, uh, past, past tense. Past, past tense. Past imperfect. Past tense. Just, just past tense. Yeah. Part one and two. You know, and then of course there was the Q episode, and you know there have been Loxana episodes, which I mean that just makes no sense, right? And so those have been so inorganic and so stunty that you know, like my spidey sense is just sort of already activated. Uh, you know, so I'm going into this episode somewhat skeptical, you know, can they justify the fact that it happens at all? My second question is, does it do anything bad to the original episode? You know, cause of course there have been times where that's happened, uh, especially in enterprise, but you know, even, even in some other shows, you know, where retconning creates some angle that, you know, is, is, I don't know, unpleasant for some sort of dedicated fan. But that said, uh, I, I'm not going to try to, like, be the curmudgeon about it. It's like, I like Star Trek, and this is Star Trek, and if they do good things with it, then it makes me happy, you know? I just... So I've been reading about it, and they're like, we wanted to celebrate the 30th anniversary. Okay, you know, cool, I get that. Um... And I guess they, they felt like they wanted to leverage the Forrest Gump technology, you know, to somehow rotoscope an original series episode. All right. Okay. Um, could they have chosen a different episode, do you think? Um, my understanding, I'm trying to think if there was a reason that I recall them picking this one. And I don't know if it's they just had, that was like the best quality um, negative available to them or... 
I also always sort of thought that it was like, oh, this is sort of like a precursor to the DS9 station. It's like to the Deep Space Station. So this Eight, is like yeah. Yeah. K7. Yeah. The original series. Uh, I'll also say, I think this is the one, this was like a lower risk. Like, you can't jigger with City on the Edge of Forever. That's yeah. too tightly crafted a story. Um, I think this has a lot more room. I also, if memory serves, I'm trying. I think on one of the special features, the like two second sample of throwing a crew member in the background from like a, a modern actor in the background to show the director could be done was done with this episode. I don't what what the like a two second clip of this episode. So I don't, but I don't know why that was. Well, apparently there was a chance meeting also at a pizza restaurant in Los Angeles. Uh, Charlie Brill, who plays Arn Darwin. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, they, they they just found him eating pizza. Yeah, and so they they took that as sort of a sign that this was the direction they had to go. I mean, I, I think you're probably right, Kevin, that they felt a comedy was a better option than trying to somehow rejigger an episode that had a lot of pathos. Um, and I I think they're right. You know, yeah, I don't touch City on the Edge of Forever. <laughs> Yeah. Just don't do it. You know, there's nothing you can add to it. You want to do a Guardian show? Great. But don't touch the actual plot of The City on the Edge of Forever. You know, um, the same would go for something like Yesterday's Enterprise in TNG. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't read. Oh. Also, like, anytime you go back in time, the story almost always devolves into We Must Maintain the Timeline. And that gets boring. So I think they meant, I think they solved that. And we'll get to this when we actually watch the episode. I think they solved that with the, uh, with the comedic aspects. Since they were working inside the comedy, the tension of maintaining the timeline had some life to it that I think it wouldn't have had had it was just make sure Kirk saves the ship again. That, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, why don't we get started? All right, I'm queued up. Everybody's ready? Yep. Okay, so let's all press play in three, two, one, press play. Oddly enough, the Janolan model is showing up <laughs> as the ship for our temporal investigations officers. How do you feel about that? Um, I, I have no problem with there being a Department of Temporal Investigations. Starfleet loves its bureaucracy. Um, I... They're setting a tone here, and I think they achieve it from this very first scene. Also, the names Dolmer and Luxley are anagrams of Mulder and Scully, which I yeah. find charming. It's how much work do you think these guys have on a on a yearly basis? Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, how many temporal incursions are there that this era's Federation or Starfleet can even detect? You know. Could they oh, only maybe, do maybe, it from captain's may, logs? Maybe it's just these two guys. Yeah, it could be. I I I enjoy the I enjoy this scene already. It's just it they're it's good comedy. I mean, they're intentionally be they're parodying the hard nosed investigators, the you know internal investigations type, and I think that it that's achieved well. And oh, yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of like a dragnet thing. And too. I love this. Like, was that a joke? No, we hate those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that uh, cracks me up. Um, I also like. Uh, I don't think we got to the line yet. He gives the start date when they arrive, and he just fl flicks off. Oh, Friday. 
Okay, this setup. This setup is a little ridiculous. I completely and freely acknowledge that this is the biggest MacGuffin in the history of MacGuffins. So there's an orb that lets you travel through time just by touching it. The prophets apparently have no real control because you have to imagine they wouldn't care enough to help this guy. But whatever. I still don't care. I've thought about it. I've ruminated. I've pondered. And I don't care. It still just charms me. Well, but why he... would the Cardassians give up such a powerful orb, you know? I mean, unless they just didn't know that it was the orb of time. Did they not open it? Yeah. I mean, unless the prophets sent Cisco back to have fun where they wouldn't send back uh, the Cardassians. So he says, I never thought I'd see a normal face again. How does those... he not trick off the sensors when he beat If he's Joker actually a Klingon, you know, I just yeah. thought about that. They should have realized that when they were putting him back together. I mean, it, McCoy's tricorder picked it up. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sitting here. You know, it's like Rascals. This is like... Whatever problem, like, I'm so charmed by that episode that the facially, insultingly stupid plot just doesn't bother me. It just bounces right off. And I'm still here with that position. I'm like, yeah, like, you know what? They don't dwell on the setup. The setup happens. I, yeah. I do ha like them discussing Worf's uh, earthy aroma. <laughs> uh, Michael Dorn is such a straight guy. He is, he's yeah. perfected it. He really has. Oh, uh, uh, Matt, you posted this on Facebook. I saw it too. The clips of him and Marina Sirtis playing essentially the newlywed game. Yeah. Uh, charming. You know, it, this setup kind of raises questions like, oh, good. Every, every one of the main crew is on the Defiant for some reason. You know, I, I don't know. And so here we go. The Orb of Time has done its Orby business. Apparently, the Orb of Time also overexposes film, so please keep that in mind if you're traveling with uh, rolls of film on this trip. Um, the Orb of Time also moved them 200 light years, so it's the Orb of Time and space. Also. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we're already dealing with a godly object. Yeah. Yeah, it's magic. I've let it go. Yeah, it's ma it's literally magic. Okay. Here's the moment that sells the episode. It's coming up in like two seconds. The minute they turn. Okay. It's right here. The moment this episode was sold for me is when they turn the view screen on. Yeah. Like, I'm right there. I like, because if nothing else, they didn't just try to scoot by with an old picture, with like an old still. That's gorgeous. That preemptively, before, before Blu-rays even existed, I was sold on the idea that the Blu-ray remaster of the original series would be a worthwhile enterprise. Ha ha. Well, apparently they got the model from the Smithsonian. I'm sorry, go ahead. The one we're watching on Netflix, is that like remastered at No, all? there are no DS9 remasters yet. Um, the TOS has been remastered, right? The TOS Blu-ray has a remastered version of The Trouble with Tribbles. And is that what's on Netflix as well? You know, I haven't. Uh, I don't. I think. It, I think the Netflix just regular TOS is the old TOS. I don't think it's the HD. Yeah, I don't think they have HD for either. Uh, they might have Enterprise in HD, but I don't think they have TNG or TOS. Yeah. Uh, there was 
a version of Trials and Tribulations put onto the TOS Blu-ray as an extra on the same disc as uh, The Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, it was an upscaled version, but it, it's not a new transfer at all. It, you know, they didn't they didn't do anything basically. They just ran it through the computer at a higher resolution. You know, so it's it's like looking at the same blurry crap on a better TV. You know, so that, yeah, Th there is as of right now the only DS9 footage that's truly in HD is on Birthright Part One. Oh, I'm so excited. That's cut. That looks so good, by the way. Oh Thank my God, I'm I'm gonna die. Oh, it's gonna be gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I'll say I I love the model. Like, if nothing else, it's moments like that that not to go off on our standard rant, but it's stuff. It's it's shots like the Enterprise, the original Enterprise in the view screen of the Defiant that make me question anyone who thinks that the original series was like creatively like lacking because it just didn't have the budget like that was gorgeous it was just cool to look at and it was so cool to see it, it was just so much How better looking than hair dryer engines once we get enterprise as the show how do they handle what because they say that this is the first enterprise oh i've let you, you gotta let that go you, you, you that way lies madness um the the basic explanation is that the nx01 was not a federation ship and so it doesn't count. It would, it would it'd be like counting the aircraft carrier in the line of enterprises. Okay. You know? uh. It's a different organization. They're both Starfleet, so it's kind of a BS explanation, but whatever. So, yeah, apparently they got the Enterprise model from the Smithsonian, uh, but they had to uh, restore it because a few alterations had been made. Uh, I don't know what those alterations were, and I'd like to know, but... Um, so good records, you know. They're able to actually just look at the records. Thankfully for the defiant humans. What's that? Do Klingons age that much slower than humans? Yeah, I mean it's. We, we like kind of established that in Blood Oath, right? Yeah. Basically, anybody from a TOS show who's not a human ages slower than humans for the sake of getting them onto TNG or DS9. <laughs> yeah. Leonard Nimoy, he's fine. Um, Scotty needs a transporter accident. I just watched Relics on the Blu-rays. Oh, the, you, the Blu-rays have arrived for you? Mine are still in transit? Yeah. Uh, it, it was a good watch. I enjoyed it. And so, as to your point, Kevin, you know, the, of course they had the bridge recreation on Relics, and just like when I watch the Enterprise Mirror show, and just like in this show, you know, when I see the way that they have reconstructed the designs of the sets, I don't find them foolish or you know like crappy looking. Like I love them. Yeah, I, like I, like, I, I mean, like they're, that they're, they're there. They're definitely of a time. I mean, all the push buttons and all of the yeah. like lacquered surfaces. It's it's an it's an older aesthetic, obviously. But it's gorgeous. Like I, I maintain for ages, I think part of the original series' appeal is it's a world drawn in these like large fields of primary color. I think there's something very engaging about that, um, just visually. Um, so those... Dax is getting rid of her spots. Okay, this was fun. I like the attention to detail. I like the little doodads. I love the prop work, the the hair, the costumes, the get the gadgets. 
it's, yeah. Exactly. Well, and, and I like that they put a they. I like that they flag it for what it is. Like this would it just the, the joke lands great. Everyone's clearly game, um, and the the gold flatters uh, Cisco. I'm a doctor, not a historian. You know, you know. Okay, the episode is 43 minutes of fan service, yeah. but it's good but fan service. Good fan yes, service. yes. Like I'm not, I'm not being insulted here. I'm being like rewarded for being a fan of this show. Oh, and Terry Farrell in a miniskirt. I'm. <laughs> Very much in favor. Well, it, it helps that the beehive and the go-go boots, like, yeah. suit her. Not, I mean, not just as an attractive woman, but it's like, she could, you know, lose the Starfleet insignia, maybe add an inch to the skirt. It, like, it's not a bad, like, look for her. So it, it helps. <laughs> no, but she's, she's basically vaulted into the top two or three TOS babes. You know? And I love Bashir's hair. I love that they gave him that, like, half, like, you know, like, pomaded monkey's hair. Like, that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. I always wondered why they wouldn't have bothered saying they just um, de-Klingon dwarf like they did for um, the Baralan episode, um, Homeward. Because yeah. you, you figure Michael Dorn would have been like, I can come to work and not have to go to makeup first? Huzzah! Like, you think he would have been fine with that? Yeah. So here's some of the first uh, footage. I mean, they, they actually built this set. But now... No... This, these are still extras. Yeah, I, I think it's for largely scenes with the original with crew the that where they had to. But also, come on, they rebuilt it. They got like those aren't like you know Halloween. Oh, here's a beauty shot for you. Yeah, th those weren't like Halloween costume store that is stuff. A great shot. Yeah, oh, it's just everything here just looks cool. I'm just so gratified by this entire exercise that I can't can't be mad i find it interesting that they gave o'brien and bashir their actual ranks yeah you know, he's like a crewman and he's a lieutenant uh, this is this reminds me of that scene from like star trek 4 with like all the like voice verses oh right I mean, even this stuff, it doesn't read as false. Like, it it wouldn't make sense that these He's guys... She's very cute, too, by the way. Yeah, she, she, that is a complicated updo. I would hate to have to, like, get up in the morning and be her. Um, but, like, the little gag about not holding the handle in the turbo lift totally works. I might understand large swaths of, you know, 19th century technology, but if you gave me a piece of it... I would probably fumble with it for a second. Like it, it just ma it makes sense. It's it, it's that fine line of it's funny, but it doesn't actually insult the character or my intelligence. To me, it's Dax's dialogue. That oh, really it's oh yeah, word. the look yeah. on Terry Farrell's face absolutely sells it. Like, well, and because she's like the Mary Sue for the fans. Yeah. You know? And I like that they and. and it gives a through line between the original series and like next gen and DS nine where it's like, Oh right. This, this was a different time and place and their aesthetic and taste change and design changes, but you can still recognize it as something part of your history. So that like, like the way she's holding the, the tricorder, that's like, and she's the perfect character because obviously the, the character lived through it. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, it's touches like that, that sell, the idea of this episode for me is they, they made smart character choices. They made good humor choices. No one has to be stupid for any of this to be funny. So that, that allays a lot of my fears going in that this is just going to be cheap, um, 
gag, one gag after another. That is quite an outfit. Oh yeah, she's definitely an upgrade from the from the actress in the original episode. <laughs> I think. So, um, they've done a good job of giving Worf and Odo these like traitor clothes. Oh yeah. Because of, of course, the character in the original episode has clothes very much like this. I guess you need lots of cargo pockets you to mean, smuggle things. Uh, Matthew, the guy who's selling the tribbles, or yeah. And that well, he also um, what was the other guy? I'm blanking on his name. Um, well, there's Cyrano Jones, and then well, I guess Harry Mudd was a little more pirate flamboyant. You know, yeah. I still love that pink leather jacket. I always oh, will. Yeah, totally. Like I, if I had that build, I would get that jacket. If I could get the jacket, I would get the jacket. <laughs> this is where my colorblindness, I think, probably pays off because I did not know that was pink. Oh, the leather jacket. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh, it's gray. You, you know, you know you... they've even got the hollow foil on the Jeffries tube ladder, you know, the triangular ladder. You know, it's just, Kevin, you know, I think a lot of this is Ron Moore. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't but picture Ron Moore and Iris Stephen Bear, like, possibly literally skipping up and down the sets before everyone got there. Like, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, just... <laughs> like b- both is like it, it just it's it's like almost like a piece of like real history you know like it, there's like a set like rebuilding so carefully this piece of television history has to feel like like when you do like recreations of historical events like there's yeah. such attention to detail it has to really be engrossing wouldn't it be funny if this was like Harry Kim's like ancestor? Because <laughs> there's only two. It's like only two uh, Asian people other than Sulu in uh, in Star Trek. Well, he seems very Harry. Yeah, Harry oh. as well. I just noticed this. They gave him the pointed sideburns. It's the it's that little stuff that that just. Well, they've been pretty consistent yeah. with that through all of the modern series, and even in Enterprise, I think they had pointy sideburns. So this is a fashion that's been going on for 300 years, apparently. <laughs> Good comedy. And you know, Kevin, they're doing a good job uh, of having the comedy be about them and not be just a bunch of cheap, you know knockoff jokes from the original episode right they're not just repeating the jokes and expecting us to laugh again there that's that's good i mean what percentage when they did this do you think they were like oh people who saw the original are going to watch this or this is going to be people who have heard about the originals um i would say it would go watch the original it would be a decent split but i mean if you think about it ron moore would be of an age to have watched it as a child and now work on it as an adult. And that might be that like ideal demographic, like the people who remember watching it. I mean, I think Ron Moore said that he got into it in reruns in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so he, he was not watching it originally. You know, Andrew, I, I would guess 50, 50. Yeah. You know, people who have actually seen The Trouble with Tribbles. Um, maybe with a show like Deep Space Nine, it's a little more fan-intensive. 
So yeah. maybe it would be like 60-40. Yeah. So I like the sort of triple uh, prejudice of Worf's many prejudices. And I like the backstory, too. Yeah, definitely. So does that mean that Tribbles are now extinct, or is this just the Tribble homeworld that gets... Well, if they weren't extinct before, even if they were extinct before, not to spoil the the punchline at the end of the episode or anything, they're not anymore. I feel like you probably could not... He says by the 23rd century they had been eradicated. But come on. I mean, the, could the, you really? It I, would be like trying to eradicate, you know, domestic cats from Earth. Yeah. So, someone's going to be smuggling them somewhere. Uh, I love that line. The, the great triple hunt. That's a great Odo line, I think. So nice use of the sound effects. And such good extra work. I mean, there are more extras on this set than there were on the original one. I think there are more extras on this set than there were in the entire original series. <laughs> See, good joke. It's a, it's and a. Cisco's enjoying this too, which is what I like. Yeah. And so Kira gets to be the pregnant lady left on the ship, which makes sense. Yeah. There's no Jake in this episode. And I like I like this. I like this dialogue here because it ties in to Blood Oath that Dax, we know Dax knows this guy. It makes sense that she would know who he is and that want to see him. Like that's that's it it's the little stuff like this. Ron Moore clearly did his homework. I mean, given that he wrote it the first time around, that's not surprising. But still, like, it's just, it, it, it's nice that they remembered these things. And also, I feel like, you know, Dax is the one crew member who would be willing to risk the timeline breach to, like, see an old friend. Right, because she, she's that, she's that, she's that cavalier. And the little... I will say that they are calling into question the, well, the Klingon question by having a Klingon who has appeared on DS9 with bumpy forehead, but who also appeared on TOS without bumpy forehead. But then they're going to try to skirt the issue with the dialogue. You know, it's... It's uh, it's dicey. Yeah. I I actually... Well, I'm having seen the Enterprise episode that I understand explains it all. Wouldn't Klingons recognize Worf even with the hat on? In theory? Possibly. Um, I'll say what bothers me more is just... Um, if the if the explanation in Enterprise about Klingon head ridges is correct, couple that with the fact that star, serving Starfleet officers have seen a single individual Klingon with and without the ridges, the fact that Bashir and O'Brien, like the fact that they have no idea, is an, that's what annoys me. I actually got annoyed. I'm more annoyed at Enterprise for trying to flesh out the explanation than this episode for giving the one-liner because the one-liner actually works great for me. Like the little, just the, it's a, it's a joke. It's a joke to hang a lantern or a lampshade, whatever, whatever the trope is called on the problem. And it's a funny joke. Just let it be. There isn't actually a good explanation. No. No, And and that's the conclusion Moore came to. And he's right. It's better to not explain it than to try to. Right. Unless, uh, unless you only show, 
Klingons from that era without the ridges even into their sen- seniority. There's just no good explanation. My favorite one was a was an essay on Star Trek.com, the under-resourced creator god theory. When God created the universe, he was not as trusted or as resourced as he once eventually became, so he couldn't give Klingons head ridges at the time. I thought that was really funny. So you think Watley likes the doctor here? It was a mild it was a mild flirt. I think Bashir is always is uh inflating it in his head a little. He looks like a dingleberry. Yeah. I don't see how any woman could be attracted to him. Uh, maybe she likes a doctor. I mean, it's sort of a James Bond haircut, so Uh, yeah, I know we're not saying much now, but it's just, it's funny. No, it's good humor. I mean, it's playing on the idea that the doctor is essentially Randy and wants to convince himself that there's a good reason for him to fornicate with, you know, a person from the 23rd century. All right, they, so Kirk and Spock. They did such a good job with the lighting. Like, I'm not even sure they make those gels anymore. Like, they got those colors spot on. Okay, this is like the first major example. Okay, watching the... There's ca- a little bit of a scene. Yeah, you can tell because the camera moves and Dax does not quite move in 3D rotation at the exact rate your eye would expect it to. But especially in the stationary stuff... That's that's pretty flawless. He's and so you know, handsome in person. Almost twenty years later, it still looks so good. Yeah, like I'm sure if they took another swing, like if if there's an eventual DS9 Blu-ray, which please, I'll buy Deep Space Nine again. I might even buy Voyager Blu-rays, honestly, out of a sense of completion. But that I'm getting ahead of myself. I think I just even like the fear that Dax likes. Is looking at Spock. Yeah, and most of us, that's know, such a great know. line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so this is this is good comedy too. I have to say, the the tight shirt would probably have been more flattering on Avery Brooks three seasons ago. <laughs> He's really sucking it in right. Yeah, it happens to us all. Anyhow, I really like. You know, the fact that they're at odds, you know, she wants to have fun. Yeah. And he's all business. I will say he doesn't strike me as very 60s looking. I feel like they should have given him hair. hair out. Little yeah, shave, shave the beard. Uh, I love those doors. Those yeah, have to be definitely. like the least usefully shaped door in the world, but I love them. Hey, it's the future. It's hexagons, man. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of hinging on people ordering anachronistic things. Are we to take it that Ractagino is a regional delicacy? Well, at least a Klingon that- drink before whatever cultural detente. Well, I mean- 
it would probably be like if you were like a Russian spy going to the U.S. and ordering something like very Soviet, you know, during the embargo. Yeah. yeah. This is a funny bit with yeah. O'Brien, you know, misrecognizing Kirk. Does he think that Chekhov is Kirk or the other guy? No, the other guy. And in fact, the other guy was actually uh, Shatner's camera double. Which makes the joke even better. <laughs> I gotta say, her outfit's not doing it for me. Well, it's not It's not the most flattering thing in the world. Alright, here it comes. Those are Klingons? Um, I was... I was reading that they actually got the original series Klingon uniforms out of storage and they had to do some mild restoration work for like some belt buckles and stuff that had gone missing but those are, my understanding, the real deal. We do not discuss it with outsiders. See, that's funny. It tags the problem, moves on. Enterprise's attempt to flesh it out was a mistake from the start. Do you find it jarring at all when they do a facial close-up on a TOS actor? The film stock is noticeably different, but I think that's a... I'm not saying that. You know, I get that that's just going to happen. I'm talking from a storytelling perspective. Uh, you know, that was the first, Matthew, I see what you're saying. That was the, this conversation is the first one where it maybe feels a little jarring. Well, because well, it's like stopped being a DS9 show. You know? Yeah. I get that, but this is the only scene where they really indulge in it. So, and they're setting up a bigger thing here. Like th this is far and away the most complicated thing they're going to try to do coming up. So I think they want maybe they wanted to make sure that the camera had spent enough time with both crews that if they're going to get into a fist fight, we'll buy that they're actually occupying the same space. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, I remember reading about this. Um, they had to teach. They had to reteach everyone. Uh, classic Trek Foo, because as, as Trek Foo as Trek Foo gets on like TNG and Deep Space Nine, the big cowboy punches are ridiculous here. Like by relative comparison, it's like watching a 17th century Shakespeare production where all the women are men in drag. It's like so anachronistically acted. Um, I'll say they did a good job. I mean, O'Brien's throwing punches like it's 1967. My only thought about this scene, because I watched... Uh... <laughs> Uh, the first triple episode like a day ago yeah there seems to be more Klingons in the room than there were in uh, the original episode yeah that was they, they cast new actors as Klingons so that the crew would have someone real right. to punch I mean obviously I like that's what they did but like for me watching it so yeah. close together it felt a little like weird I get that yeah a lot bigger <laughs> oh that joke's still funny <laughs> oh. Cyrano Jones yeah trying to steal the drink uh. 
Oh, you know, I never noticed the old Ar- uh, Ar- the the yeah. old Darvin in the doorway there. I've watched this episode a hundred times. That is a huge dude. That yeah. that is a barrel chest. His arm looked like it wasn't even attached to his body. Well, that guy has no neck for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I believe it was attached. It just looked like it wasn't. So now we're back to the framing story. Like, I can't. I find it hard to believe that there's really a regulation, and that people know it. Well, I believe they know it. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking. This sort of like reminds me of like uh, in Harry Potter how Ron, Ron's father, you know, the misuse of Muggle artifacts. He has all this, <laughs> and he's really passionate about it, but no one else is. I mean, I could easily see be the Department of Temporal Investigations being these two guys in, like, one sub-basement of Starfleet security. I could actually really see that. This shot was pretty well achieved. Yeah, this th- yeah. that just looks pretty good. There's, there's no two ways about it. Uh, well, the, the shadow on O'Brien is not great. Yeah, his face ends up looking, looking a little discolored. But the, the lineup is good. Yeah. Yeah. I just, okay, I have to say, I have a hard time believing that Kirk would not recognize or would fail to recognize that these two guys are out of place. You know? Unless the whole thing with that Watley person was that there was a, a recent transfer of people. Well, I get trying to do it that way but having watched TOS several times now I just feel that Kirk is a guy who would basically intimately know all 430 people on his crew you know I mean, at least by sight I'll say it's the closest the show comes to breaking the story for the sake of the joke I don't think it quite gets that. I mean you could argue these men were technically arrested wouldn't they have been asked for ID or scanned in some way blah 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 it's yeah. one of those times it's uh, it's cute. I've let it go. The weird thing is, like, he, this guy got back on the show the way I dream of getting on the show. Ron Moore just running into me at a pizza joint. Like, yeah. that, that I've been I've been going to pizza joints for years, hoping that would happen. So now we're getting the Darwin motivation. Wouldn't this create a horrible paradox in this space-time continuum if this actually his plan works? Well, he would be paradoxical, yeah. Yeah, the short answer is yes. <laughs> I suppose, you know, the fact that the Defiant crew is here, they would also become paradoxical uh, in the new timeline. Um, they presumably have no place to go back to. Uh, right, but Darwin would never exist to place the bomb. Ah, the, the, the temporal causality loop, the, uh, the, the bane of every temporal mechanic. Yeah, it, it calls into question what version 
of reality the Trek universe is propounding. Either you have one timeline that can be altered, uh, or you have an infinitude of timelines, and we're just tracking along one of them. You know, so Darwin would change the timeline, and the Klingon Empire would somehow be ascendant because Kirk would be gone. It would be an offshoot, but the other timeline would continue to exist. Right, it would, it would be 1985B. To, uh... And and the show has, you know, sort of vacillated between those two uh, kinds of, you know, views, right? Uh, most of... is the math correct on this, by the way? Yep, uh, eleven, <laughs> uh, eleven to the seventh power, basically. Um, I for yeah, uh, I've forgotten how to do exponential mathematics, but it, the the it works out to be eleven to the seventh is one million, blah blah blah. All right, because I, I was just trying to do it on my, like, with a pyramid chart, and I got the million, but then the rest of it didn't seem like it would add up. So. So this is straight up. But I was doing 10, not 11. You know, they're actually just inserting yeah. the new actors into frame, and it looks okay. I like how they inserted the look. Yeah. I, it's like, how could Cisco be sitting there and everyone else on the bridge is completely oblivious to it? Like, he's doing Uhura stuff. I know, like, he's... Uh, <laughs> oh, the, the horrible joke just writes itself. Um, yeah, I get it. Like, the bridge is is full of enough background characters that it doesn't really bother me, but... Um, I do love the charts and graphs. Oh, yeah. And that chair looks so much more substantial than it does in, like, the, in the unremastered original series. It looks like, you know, like a single piece of plastic, not like there's an actual backing to it. So now Uhura's at her station, so I guess he's supposed to be off in the corner of the bridge? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I always read it as he is at the first station to the left of the view yeah. screen basically where the camera is for a lot of the shots yes he's hiding in the camera <laughs> oh this joke kills me too i have uh, i mean i don't like putting dax in too many places where she knows too many star trek characters well it, it's not uh, it, it's not uncredible um, because, tr uh, you know, Trill is a Federation member. Um, Curzon was a Federation ambassador, so it's not like it. It's not like she knows everyone on the ship, and I can I can believe that a a citizen member of a Federation planet could be on Earth and, in the grand scope of that time, meet one person I know from the original series. That that that's fine. That plus, I gotta say that plus kind of shot up with bones, so. I really enjoy this kind of shot showing us an alternate angle. Uh, you know, so now we're inside the Quadro Triticale bin, right? And that was something we never saw on the TOS show. Yeah. You know, so I like that. Yeah. Um, like, it doesn't change anything. It just expands things. You know, one thing on that, Matthew, that I like what they've done here, 
is some of the times when they show the ships uh, orbiting the station. I think in the original episode, it was the Enterprise was always in the foreground. Oh, yeah. And the Klingon ship was always in the background. And they reversed that a couple of times in this episode. Oh, they've totally redone all the ship passes. Which is so cool, I think. And yeah, they've shown yeah. us basically beauty shots of the TOS ship that we never could have seen. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Like Kevin said, it's fan service, you know. Yeah. Good fan service, though. Yes. And, and I'll say, watching the episode up to this point, I think they've done the exposition with a sufficiently deft hand that this would not be the favorite of a non-fan or someone who had not seen Trouble with Tribbles. But it's not like you can't follow it. It's not like you don't understand why it's significant, you know? Yeah, yeah. So now we're on the wreck deck. <laughs> okay, I, are they playing three-dimensional checkers? That's what it looks like. I, I assume how the tribbles would not be as hard as three-dimensional chess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think it would be. I've always wanted to know how tribbles cling to walls. They've got a suction. Yeah, how do they get yeah, up there? They don't move. Like a clam or something. You wonder how, like, the, the guy who had to be in charge of making all the tribbles, that was, oh, like, that's their job. I yeah. own a tribble. I, or at least I did. I might have gotten rid of it when it finally got a little old and a little, uh, you know, funky. But it those, didn't reproduce, Kevin? It did not. But those could just be commercially purchased tribbles. I have no trouble believing that. Yeah. Oh, that would be, that would be my favorite day is, like, the prop master slash requisition guy. Kevin, you have one job. Get all the triples. Like I yes, sir, I would that would be the best weekend ever. Um, the sound quality is really good. Um, like the way they pitch it so it sounds like the conversation is cut like they did a good job mixing it to make it seem like they were really in that upper compartment. Well, so this is a cute thing. You know, they're scanning the triples. And it's them scanning the tribbles that is resulting in more being thrown out. In the reality of the TOS filming, it was crew members, you know, whipping them at Shatner. <laughs> and his look of irritation is real because you know, they were really winging them. I did not know that. That's a great story. Oh, God. They even did a good job of matching what they're throwing and what's coming out the chute. Like, that's <laughs> really well done. Uh, the, the little beat when Spock uh, confirms that her math is right. That's adorable. Uh, it's just so, I, I gotta say in the close-up of uh, Cisco's hands the uh, detail work on the costumes is is gorgeous I do question how no one ever noticed the explosion explosion yeah I've always questioned why they don't just I don't know keep a bomb 
in the buffer or just like delete the file or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, why do you have to rematerialize it? Because bad stuff would happen. It's like a sneeze. I guess. <laughs> Don't hold it in. Well, just send the bomb wherever Franklin went. Yeah. You know, Darwin looks so sniveling. Like, you think he'd been, like, spotted out long before then. <laughs> you look like a spy. I mean, plus he's wearing a mouse suit, practically. Like... Yeah, we believe in collars in this country, young man. <laughs> okay, by the time we returned, Kira discovered how to use the orb to return us back to her own time. So basically, she became lord and master of the universe <laughs> in the intervening 20 minutes. Yeah, she also figured out how to undo the occupation, because yeah. she would do that, actually, totally. Okay. Oh, I love that shot. Oh, yeah, totally. And this is this is neat. This is like the little final note of fan service that is just really well done. The only odd thing this is not from tr uh, Trouble with Tribbles. This yeah. is from Mirror Mirror, and this is the final scene when he meets the Prime Universe version of the, of the woman. woman he's just been screwing. Right. So Shatner was given Cisco unintentional bedroom eyes there, but. He gives yeah, everyone bedroom eyes. Yeah, it's a, he can't turn it off. So, at the end of the day, it's like Scully and Mulder here come and investigate, and they're acting all hard-ass. And then they're just like, yeah, I guess that was a cute story. Whatever. I guess that's why they don't have a big staff. Yeah. They never actually prosecute anybody. Like, what would the penalty be? You know? Demotion. I just don't understand. Given what we've been told about, you know, changing the timeline, there's no way they could know you've changed the timeline. The proof. Unless... You report it yourself. Right. Proof would be a problem. Log. I agree. Or Guinan is. A... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Call Whoopi Goldberg. How's she doing? Is something wrong? Is something wrong? They should... so, okay. Now, if they had had an Elorian on staff, that would have really impressed me. <laughs> well, either of them could be Elorian. We've seen Caucasian Elorians, and I suppose that's true. They're not mystical and uh, wistful enough. <laughs> okay I thoroughly enjoyed yeah. all of that I think it has a right to exist uh, you know I'm... <laughs> I definitely enjoyed it also you know the fan service was so good and it and so thoughtful so yeah like yeah. the story is not is certainly not destroyed um, it might not be enhanced it's not like we learned something new about the story per se but it was so seamlessly it woven with the story like i believe ron moore worked his butt off on the story and the like the script and the staging to make sure that that was the love note that it was intended to be well to not i mean look so i'm, I'm going to contrast it with a few enterprise stories 
you know, and this is Berman and Braga as opposed to Ron Moore, you know, and like Rene Echeverria, you know, the stories they did in Enterprise with the Ferengi and the Borg were so bad because they called into question elements that were established with rock solid certainty in TNG. You know, no one has ever seen the Ferengi before. We have no idea what they look like. You know, and the same with, uh, you know, the Borg, right? Like Voyager, they kind of tried to fudge it a little bit, but it was never anywhere near as egregious as, oh, this ship has encountered the Borg, and they have, like, pictures and a corpse, and they should have total records of it, and no one in the 24th century should be surprised, right? Yeah. So those episodes in Enterprise were, you know, sort of ham-fisted versions of fan service. It's like, oh, fans will enjoy seeing the Borg again. Fans will enjoy seeing the Ferengi again. It's like, no, they won't if you piss on something that fans love, right? And so this is the opposite of that. This, you know, in no way, shape, or form contradicts anything. Yeah. Uh, it, does, it doesn't change any characterizations. It doesn't change any conclusions that we would have drawn from the series, the original series, right? Yeah. And it's very charming, right? So yeah. does it, like, blow my mind and, like, make me love Star Trek more or something? Like, no, that would be an original story, you know, that, like, really, you know, trips my trigger and, and does something amazing. This, this is, like, a fun interlude, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, and I think the character notes are well chosen, you know, having Dax be the one who wants to say, screw the rules and wants to hang out because she enjoys it. Um, the humor is good. It's funny. It's in character. It doesn't break character. Um, the sin of Enterprise and trying to flesh out the explanation about the Klingons is not this episode's fault. Um, yeah, I think the writing is a, is a four. It, it found a way to be funny. Um, maybe not as funny as the original, but still funny. And in a way that flattered and did not annoy the diehard fans that we are. And I was also going to say that, and in contrast to Into Darkness, like when O'Brien goes into the past, yeah, he's a smart engineer, but he doesn't actually know how these ships work necessarily because he's not used to the technology. Right. Like There is like Khan coming from the past would have been like, oh, this is clearly a transporter device. Yeah. Yeah, people behave realistically. They're not all superheroes. They can't all figure everything out instantly. It So it has a certain verisimilitude. You know, Into Darkness, among its many faults, had so many, oh, come on, moments. You know, where as, as a rational viewer with a modicum of intelligence, you're just smacking your forehead and saying, oh, come on, really? You know, there's none of that here. Right. So, yeah, that point is well taken. Um you know, as Kevin, as to your point about character writing, I think it's a decent Deep Space Nine story. Like, I think they could have gone further with the Dax Cisco, you know, sort of conflict and made it a lot more about Dax in a really interesting way, if you ask me. I feel like in the attempt to shoehorn all of the main cast members into the story, they sacrificed being able to go deep 
into one or two of them. I get that. So, Matthew, are you suggesting that Dax should have, like, disobeyed Cisco and met her friend or? Yeah, or something like that, yeah. Or, or even if it had tied into, you know, some central conflict. You know, part of this notion of having a single timeline that has to be preserved, you know, the drama could be uh, Dax wants to intervene, Cisco says no, but in fact... Dax had to intervene for the timeline to play out as it should have, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Anyway, you know, five five to ten more minutes of that character conflict would have solidified it as more of a Deep Space Nine show to me and less of a, you know, it's like this is a fun thing we're going to do, but we're not going to really learn anything. I mean, I get that. Like, you could have replaced them with a staff of TNG or Voyager actors and achieved largely the same story. Yeah. That was a question I was going to ask for you guys because by this point, DS9 is already getting, you know, pretty serialized. And this sort of felt like more of like a one-off episode mm -hmm. that might have fit better in TNG or in Voyager. I can see that. Um, I guess there's even less plausible reason to send Voyager back than Deep Space Nine. I, yeah, overall, this is this is one of those episodes that ultimately i think it works because for it it sets a goal that goal was to humorously homage a piece of star trek history as part of its celebration i believe it solidly achieves that goal once you adjust for a degree of difficulty and the ambition of that idea it's not going to rank in a top 10 but i would i would say you know top court courtile in terms of you know, overall episode, but yeah, like for an episode that was designed to be funny, it was funny without being stupid. Yeah. Um, not something Star Trek has always done well. Um, in terms of acting, I don't think there was actually a lot for anyone to do. They basically, they more than ever literally had to hit their marks. Terry Farrell had the most interesting stuff. Yeah. And she nailed that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, wrenching drama or anything. Yeah. Um, I'll say production values, far and away the most successful part of the episode. They set a very high bar, and boy, did they achieve. Yeah. Um, those glamour shots of the um, Consti Constitution-class ship still blow my mind. That is just... Yeah. A... And the thing is, that, like you said, that's the model from the Smithsonian. That's what it looked like the whole time. They didn't. Yeah. Oh, continue, Kevin. I'll I was going to say um, they didn't rebuild it to make it look better. They restored it to how it originally looked. That's the ship the camera guy and the art guy and the director were looking at when they were making those episodes. There's something really cool about that. Like that's what the ship. Like yeah, we couldn't render that faithfully in film in the '60s, but that was the thing they built, and it's gorgeous. And the the free faithful the faithful reconstruction of the sets and the extras and the clothing and the props like everything had that I mean more than anything they they really achieved for me that kind of <clears throat> excuse me glossy sixties feel like everything was like lacquered and shiny and just yeah. like they really could have easily missed the ball because there have been times when trying to recreate a scene from earlier in their own series. They haven't exactly succeeded. Like, the, num the number of ways they get Janeway's hair wrong in flashbacks 
too many to mention. Um, but there's just the, it. Yeah, it, it it's just gorgeous. Uh, it's it's. To, you know, far more than say these are the voyages. If their goal was to write a love letter to the fans on production values alone, they succeeded. They said, "Look, we rebuilt one of your favorite things in the world for you to look at again. Isn't it awesome?" And it well, is. And we will make a point of showing it to you from many different angles that were impossible. Yeah. On, on the original. Yeah. That's service. Yeah, I agree. It's like if you were a fan of Jessica Alva. Alba fan service would be putting a camera next to Jessica Alba and then showing it, showing her to us from all different angles. You know, well, if you're a fan of the Enterprise, there you go. I mean, <laughs> this is Enterprise porn essentially, and that's what you need to do. And like you say, Kevin, you know, don't try to redo it, don't try to improve it, don't try to you know change it. Try to make it exactly the way it should be, and look as good as it possibly can. You know, and they did. Yeah. All right. So and to, to Enterprise's credit, in their mirror episode. Oh you know, God! Yeah, that was yeah. Their rendition of the TOS style set is so beautiful that it's just heartbreaking that the rest of the show is what it was, um, to some degree. Also, the best mirror universe episode, other than the mirror universe episode. But we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> okay. So I would, in the balance, give this a four. The la- we gave tri- uh, Trouble with Triples a five because we agreed that the comedy was so flawlessly executed that and good comedy is hard in its own right, merits the five. This comedy is very good. I would say it falls short of the five for just want of narrative ambition. And, like, you know, th- this was a proof of concept. They were demonstrating that the technology existed to do this and they used it well in a way that made all the fans giggle and clap their hands. Um, so I think it's one of those, for what it set out to achieve, it did it very well. But I think, you know, there's a maximum points that this episode could score, you know? And I think it's a four. What do you think, Andrew? Well, I, would, I was just thinking, because I feel like when, you know, like Kevin was saying, like, proof of concept, right? So, like... George Lucas was like, when he redid the original movies, like wanting to put the CGI in, right? Yeah. And he puts in Jabba the Hutt and it looks awful. And he, you know, some of it worked, but a lot of it just felt so out of place. And then on this, it was flawless. Like you guys said, you know, they got the color when they were on the original sets perfect. And it looked different than when they were on the DS9 sets. So in like that proof of concept side, I'd give it like a six, you know? I know you guys don't have sixes, but I'd like, (laughs) but I think you guys are right that like the rest of the episode, I think falls short of that five. Well, you know, the setup is hokey and we don't really learn a whole lot, you know? Um, Like the Trouble with Tribbles episode is a complete story unit on its own. You know, it's like they've got some grain. The Tribbles are a danger to the grain. There's some political machinations behind the scenes, you know, uh, to try to stop the grain or get the, you know. So the story works on its own. And the astute fan is never made to go, what, really? Whereas the whole orb of time thing, it's just bullshit, you know. Yeah, it's it's magic. Yeah. 
It could have been um, Q. It could have been Apollo. It could have been uh, any of them. Um, yeah, I'll say I'll say it this way: the other parts of the episode are all now in service of this production concept. The digital insertion of the of the DS Nine crew into the TOS episode. And that's, you know, that's not a story idea. That's a technical idea. That being said, they achieved it beautifully. I don't mind. They achieved it without ruining the story. Right. Which, which is, which honestly was pr- probably pretty easy to do. Um, but I mean, the fact that they went to the Smithsonian and got the ship, had they just given me 43 minutes of that, I probably would have still given it at least a three. Did they get the uh, K9 or K7? Model that did not exist anymore. I, I yeah, I think they just rebuilt that. Because that was gorgeous too. The rebuild. Yeah, yeah. They did a great job. Um, yeah, Kevin, it would be interesting. And actually, that's kind of what the mirror episode was in Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Was an empty ship, so it's kind of like they did rebuild it and then just sort of walked around it for two episodes. Yeah. Uh, and we're like, yes, this is good. Give us more of this. Um. Yeah, I agree with the four. You know, it's it's above average. It's a it's above average as entertainment for a, a Trekkie, you know? Yeah. Maybe the, the average not very heavily invested fan would just find it to be a trifle, you know, mildly entertaining, but and it's like, okay, like I I guess it's cool, but they wouldn't appreciate the nuances that we might appreciate. Um but hey, I mean, they got the nuances right. I mean, I remember seeing this back in the day being probably that more like borderline casual to sort of more serious fan and like really being gung ho about this episode and enjoying it in part because of its like kitsch and, you know, going back to the past. Well, so how do you feel about relics, Andrew? Which one that's, is... That's the Scotty episode in TNG. Oh. You know, Relics... I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen that one. I don't enjoy that one as much. See, I think Relics is a better episode than this. I, I think Rel- I agree Relics is a better story, but I would agree with Andrew that until I sat down to watch TOS in its entirety for the blog... I did not have the same resonance with relics that I did that I do now because I just wasn't as attached to the original series characters. Yeah. So, and I think for me on relics, sort of similar with Kevin, but I also just felt so bad for Scotty that I had trouble watching it. Hmm. Yeah, there was some there were some definite painful scenes. Yeah. And I think I I oftentimes when I watch shows like when I get like. So like an orange is the new black, for example, like I get uncomfortable in a lot of scenes. I have to like pause the move, the show for a second, like walk out of the room, like recompose myself and hit play again. It's why I can't watch a lot of disaster movies. I tend to over empathize with the yeah. um, random person who gets killed in the first five minutes. I'm like, what, what, what? That person didn't have a life. Yeah. Well, they were the red shirt, Kevin. They're there to show you that, you know, shit's getting real. Um, and you know, we both also gave relics of four Kevin. So, yeah. uh, but I do think relics is a better episode qua episode. Yeah, I, I get, I get that. Um, um, and so I, you know, 
the technical stuff was so uh, pleasant that I think it pushes this to a four, whereas Relics could have been a five had they given us a bit more of the Dyson Sphere. Um, but it's a better story. And that's kind of what I'm saying with the Dax element. Like, I feel like they could have pushed for more narrative heft, you know, in the way that they did in Relics. Because in Relics, you know, they they were making a serious point about aging and feeling useless and not feeling like you're important anymore. And it's, it's even better, of course, because they're using Scotty, uh, who is excellent at portraying that. You know, the actor, James Doohan, is excellent at portraying that, but also he was an overlooked character in <laughs> TOS, you know, who should have gotten more to do. So there was, like, an extra layer uh, going on there. Um, you know, but, yeah, I, I, I'm not begrudging at the four. I think it's upper quartile. I would never skip it. On no, a no, no. Yeah, definitely fun to watch. Okay, it is uh, after midnight here in Central Standard Time, which I think makes it uh, after one for uh, yes. Andrew. I think it's time to uh, bring this one to a close. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us. A pleasure well, as always. Me. I always have fun with you guys discussing Trek and other things. So. <laughs> this is what the internet is for. It's for nerds talking about Star Trek. It's, it, yeah. I, I, it's, it's right there. That was... I think what you guys need to do eventually in honor of Captain Janeway at some point is do like Kate Mulgrew as Red podcasts. <laughs> uh, I, I could definitely see a post about uh, her uh, her acting choices in uh, Orange is the New Black. I'm certain there's certainly a lot there. It's very enjoyable. It's it's a, an interesting look into what she can do besides Janeway. Uh and she did such a good job as Janeway that it it can only deepen your respect for her as an actress. Have you yeah. guys have seen Throw Mama from the Train, right? Oh yeah, she was the bitchy ex-wife. Ah, oh. <laughs> that's sex it's been crazy. twenty years. God, that's a deep cut. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, you know, maybe I'll go fire up some Mrs. Columbo before I before I uh, call the night. If you're interested in uh, you know vintage Gates McFadden, she's in. Muppets take men. Yes, she's the secretary to the choreographer. I remember uh, that was like one of my first celebrity like cross recognizing things from like watching a movie and watching a TV show before the internet just told you what they were. I totally remember that. <laughs> All right. Anyway, on that note, uh, live long and prosper, everybody. Have a good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.